you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So my name's Faye. I've been, um, I started here at City on a Hill when my, when my family went through a challenging time. I stand here knowing that Jesus Christ knows me, delights in me. I stand here loved and worth dying for, celebrating his love in this church for the fifth year. I'm thankful for him and to you. Let's read. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the labourers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Thanks so much, Faye, and beautiful words, including the Bible reading. Happy birthday, City on a Hill. How are we? It's good to be with you. If you are new or visiting, my name is Nick. Uh, Great to join with you today, uh, after five years, and also after the last five days. Uh, It is good to be back with God's people together. Uh, a special welcome to people if you are visiting today because of the, the attention we have received uh, this week. Uh, well, you know, we do this every week uh, and we would love to have you here each and every week. Maybe not at 10am, usually at 9 and 11. Uh, and of course, for those of us who do call City on a Hill home, uh, I'm sure this has been a, a mixed week uh, for you like myself, perhaps a difficult and traumatic one. Uh, as, as Pat mentioned, uh, it's painful to, to feel uh, misunderstood. It's painful to think about how we might have contributed to that misunderstanding. It's, it's painful uh, to, to have that kind of intimidation of, of feeling like you might have gone into the workplace and be looked at differently or something like that amongst your circles uh, because of being a part of City on a Hill. Um, 
I actually wanted to, to, to read a letter that was, was sent to me, uh, to us though, uh, by our bishop, Bishop Paul Barker. You'll, you'll know we're part of the Anglican Church and he oversees the churches in the eastern region of Melbourne. Uh, and he wanted to give us an encouragement on our fifth birthday, also an encouragement because of what happened this week. So let me start just by uh, sharing a, a letter to the church from him. Not like the letters in Revelation, but this one's from, from the, the bishop. Uh, he said, To City on a Hill East, dear brothers and sisters, I write to congratulate you on five years of vibrant mission and ministry. I thank God for you, for Nick's faithful ministry. I didn't ask him to write that. Uh, for the witness to Jesus that you have been and for the growth that we've seen by God's grace. I'm sorry I cannot join you today, but look forward to being with you and preaching in December. I also want you to know that the past days have been confronting for many of you, not least for Andrew Thorburn and his family and the leadership of City on a Hill. We ought not be surprised at the trial and ordeal that has come on you, and indeed all Christians in these days. 1 Peter 4.12 warns us of such things, and is a passage I commend to you at this time. The world does not get Christians because it does not get Jesus, a Jesus who is both perfect in love and beautiful in holiness. If Jesus suffered vitriol and hatred, we ought to expect no less as his followers. So rejoice when you're insulted and suffer and do not be ashamed. I thank God for you, your faithful witness to a loving and holy Jesus in a world that desperately needs to know him. I pray for you to remain steadfast and that you may be overjoyed when Jesus' glory is revealed. Grace and peace in Christ Jesus, Bishop Paul Barker. I thought that would, uh, is an important reminder that, that we are going to Jesus uh, Jesus in his glory. Uh, and while we're on our way to Jesus, we are with Jesus in his pain. And I'm sure uh, we've felt some of that this week. Uh, but of course, as I mentioned, we also want to own our part in contributing to whatever misunderstandings have occurred. Uh, and so it can be hard to, to hear people uh, paint us one way when we, we, our posture is one of love, uh, one of arms being outstretched to embrace all people in our church and the world uh, as we grapple with Jesus' vision for flourishing and the hope that he offers to everybody. So I hope that this morning we can perhaps look at this parable, this story that Jesus told and, and draw out from it what is actually at the heart of who we are and what is at the heart of the Christian message and the heart of God's posture to the world. And so we're going to walk through this passage and see how it might help us and help us also reflect on the five years that have been and the years to come as well. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much uh, that you have brought us thus far. Lord, we remember the days where, where we hadn't gathered, where we didn't know each other and we didn't celebrate together the work of Jesus. And yet here we are. And Lord, we pray that you would move amongst us in this moment. Lord, in a world of, of division and, and conflict and confusion, grace and truth has come through Jesus Christ. And we pray that that grace and truth would be on display and be enjoyed amongst us this morning. And so we thank you for what you've done through your word in this place over these last five years. And we ask you to do it again in these next moments. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And so today we are coming to this story, a story told by Jesus. It's a parable. Uh, parables are something that, that Jesus often used, and it reveals to us God's character toward us as his people. It reveals to us a bit about our role as God's people in the world, and it reveals God's posture as well to all people. Now, before we uh, turn to the text itself, I want to point your attention to the context that we find it in. 
Uh, for those who are visiting today, I want you to know that Sea Hill, we uh, believe and we trust the Bible. And the bread and butter of our church is to take passages like this one, but from all over the Bible and, and really get into it to find out what the, the original authors meant. Of course, we believe that the Bible is not just uh, human speculation about God, but God's revelation to us. And yet he inspired people. And we want to get into the, the minds and the hearts of those authors to find out what is going on. And so an important place in finding where their hearts, where their minds are at in any given story here is to look at the context. Context is very important. We know that all the more after this week. Context is very important. And so the context just prior to Matthew 20 is, you guessed it, Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19, we hear this story about the, the rich young ruler. And fittingly, that was actually the, the passage that I preached on the very first week, on this day, five years ago. We reflected on the rich young ruler and what he, uh, his story meant for us as a people as we would build a church. Uh, but here we have this story again. It's reminded uh, or come before us again where Jesus is teaching and a young ruler, a rich young man comes up to him. And this guy kind of essentially in the world's eye, he, he has it all. Uh, he is financially independent, he's young, he's powerful, he's morally upright, and yet even he admits that there's, there's something missing, something not quite right. And I reflected back five years ago on some of the comments that, that John Stott uh, made in, in, in a book of his where he reflected on the writings of another author, Theodore Rozak, who, who has critiqued, I guess, our, our modern materialistic worldview. He wrote that all of us today are, are suffering from a psychic claustrophobia because of the, the scientific worldview or the, the materialistic worldview. That our human spirit cannot breathe when all we do is when we, we cut out the supernatural, when we cut out that there might be something more to life than what we can see, taste, and touch. And so we search for whatever is in front of us to, to satisfy us, to quench our longings, and yet materialism alone isn't nearly spacious enough for the human spirit. Because our hearts, they, they know that we were made for something more, something bigger, something more profound than what we can find in this world. And so perhaps like this young man who, who's in a sense 2,000 years ago was feeling this, we too might with him be feeling that, that something is missing. And so this man comes to Jesus and he asks him, how can he fill that void? What, what, what can he do? How can he find eternal life? And Jesus, because he's no mere man, sees through into his heart and he knows that for this guy in particular that he has made money his God. He's put money at the place of God. And so Jesus talks him through that and he tells him, hey, you're going to have to sacrifice that and put God back in his rightful place. But the young man can't see it and he won't do it. And so he drops his head, drops his shoulders and he walks away sullen and sad, unwilling to sacrifice to follow Jesus. But the disciples, they're right there and they're watching this, this all unfold. And as this young guy walks off refusing to sacrifice, Peter, he pipes up, as he always seems, seems to do. He's not going to let this go. He says, hey, Jesus, if that guy is, is walking off unwilling, what about us who have indeed left our boats, left our families to, to follow you? What about those of us who have left everything to follow you? What is there going to be for us? What is coming for us? And Jesus leans in to reassure him at the end of, of Matthew 19. He says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake 
will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And that brings us to Matthew 20, because it's the very same breath Jesus goes on to tell a story. The, the chapter divisions in the Bible were, were added in later for the sake of us being able to get there quickly, uh, but they're not there in the moment. And so Jesus, in the very same breath, starts into this story, and it's usually called the parable of the workers or the workers in the vineyard. But what we see from the very beginning is that it's actually a parable about the generous employer, the generous boss. We see that the focus there in the very first line in verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master, like the master of a house. And so Jesus is going to tell us what this master is like and through him how God's kingdom works, what life looks like when we're trusting in Jesus. Now, evidently, it turns out that this master, it's just a story, it's just a parable. Uh, we can't connect everything or every detail. Evidently, this master is a little bit like one of the participants on the block. Does anyone, anyone watch the block? Uh, there's a few of us, just a few down here. Uh, well, well, if you do watch the block, you, you, you would know that there, it's seemingly just, just 13 weeks of disorganization. Uh, and so at the end of every week, they know, they know another room is coming. And yet at the end of every week, it's always stress. It's always late nights. And it is always a need to pull in more tradies to make the job get done. Because evidently, this master wakes up one day and he has no workers. He hasn't, hasn't, hasn't sorted out who's coming next tomorrow morning to, to do the work. And so he rushes out into the city at 6 a.m., the, the, the stroke of the day, uh, and he hires some laborers and he makes a deal with them. He makes a contract with them that, hey, you come and work for a day and I'm going to give you a denarius. And that was a pretty typical kind of contract. They're, 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 they're there in the, the, the median income for the time. A denarius was just Typical full day's wage. Maybe for a laborer today, $150, $250 for the day. But as they get to work, it turns out it's actually actually a really busy day. The the harvest is plentiful. They want want more people in working in the vineyard. And so three hours later, he does it again and heads out at 9 a.m. And then again at 12 p.m. And then again at 3 p.m. And then again at 5 p.m., the 11th hour, he needs more people to come and finish the job. And at every point since that first agreement, the, the master hasn't had the time to sit down and have the chat about the money, to, to write out the contract and sort with them exactly how much he'll pay them. He's just said, hey, wait till the end of the day, I'll, I'll pay you what is right. And so come the end of the day, they're all lining up for their paychecks and they come in reverse order to him, the 5 p.m. and then the 3 p.m. and then the 12 p.m. They come to the master and of course the latecomers, they're, they're not going to be expecting much, particularly the 5 p.m people. If they only worked for an hour, they wouldn't get a full day's pay, of course. But this generous boss pulls out for all of them a full denarius, a full day's pay. And then all the way down to the initial workers at 6am, they're given a full denarius. And so as the 6am has come into the office, they're thinking, man, I've heard about what the other guys get. Oh, this is, I, I've really signed up well here. This is like, going to be two weeks worth. I, I don't know what, I'm, they're already kind of spending it all on credit because payday's coming. And they walk in and the master gives them what he agreed. Gives them a full denarius. It says this in verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. 
saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And so the last will be first and the first last. Now, parables always have one central overarching point. And like I said, we don't want to draw uh, every detail out and make that mean something else. Uh, In this case, we see the one central point from the repetition because the story started by Jesus saying, hey, the, the last will be first and the first last. And he ends it by saying the last will be first and the first last. And so here is the point. The point is that God's grace is exactly that, God's grace. It is God's grace. And this is a reminder of Jesus of something that's just so central to the good news of the gospel. See, the gospel is the good news that all of us are sinners, that all of us have turned from God to pave our own way. And when we use that word sin, we don't mean it as like a derogatory term to isolate and shame people. We mean it as a a spiritual relational term that we're living out of alignment with God's vision for our lives. God's vision for our flourishing. Now, something is, is missing in our world because by nature and choice, all of us have turned from a relationship with God and that relationship has become estranged because we've put other things, even ourselves, in his place. And yet in response to our rejection of him, God came into the world in Jesus, which is why we celebrate Christmas. God has sent his son into the world. And Jesus has lived perfectly where we've failed. Jesus has died gruesomely on the cross at Easter for that failure. And Jesus has risen again in victory. And so the gift of his life and that substitutionary death is is offered to us. It's offered to, to all of us. God's gone out into the city, as it may be, the city of the world, and offered us a chance to have Jesus, take the fall for us and win the victory for us. And Jesus wants to remind Peter here, this is where the story comes, it's a response to Peter. He wants to remind Peter, he wants to remind you and me here, that the way that we received that gift of life, that abundant life now, that eternal life forever, we receive it not by working for it, not by being morally pure, not by being more sacrificial than others, not by being well put together, not by being socially normative, not by being successful in the eyes of others. No, we receive it with the empty hands of faith in Jesus. We receive what we don't deserve because Jesus took on what he didn't deserve in our place for us. We receive what we didn't earn, couldn't work for, because Jesus earned it. Jesus worked for it, for us. And so God is generous to everybody who comes to him by faith. Everybody who would repent of our, or their sin and embrace Jesus in their place. And so the last will be first. And the first last tells us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how late one comes to the party. 
how late someone joins Team Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've spent your time in your life doing to this point. It doesn't matter where you've come from, that all people are invited to life with Jesus. That all people will equally share in that life with Jesus and enjoy the perfect reward and His righteousness in the end. And so this whole story is Jesus telling Peter, hey, those who haven't had to work up a sweat and have just walked on in by trusting in Jesus, and those who have crawled into the kingdom after years of exhaustion and, and sacrifice, hey, both are going to be welcomed home to Jesus. Both are going to enter into his house, heaven, as equals in Jesus. Because God's generosity is exactly that. It is God's generosity. It's grace. It's undeserved favor. And so the parable shows us that, that these workers weren't actually paid for the work so much as they were rewarded for the boss they had. It wasn't, it wasn't an equal based on the work. It was about who their boss was. And just like them, there is nothing that you and I can do to earn God's favor. Religion is a system that typically tells us to work ourselves up to God and here's what you've got to do to get there. The message of Christianity, the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel is that he has come down to us so that we might be found in him, forgiven by him, freed in him and adopted into God's family. He rewards us, not for work, for being with Jesus. God rewards us, not for what we have done or haven't done, but for being with Jesus. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, we just encourage you to enjoy that. Lap that up. Enjoy that freeing reality. But it's not about what you have done. It's not going to be about what you have to do. It's not going to be some cataclysmic failure in your life that's coming that you haven't yet seen that's going to knock you out of Team Jesus. In Jesus, you have a, a generous, loving Father who wants to give you all that He has given to the world already in His Son. And if you're exploring Christianity this morning, then know this, that the good news of Jesus is not about what you do or don't do with your life, but about what Jesus did with his. By faith in Jesus, you get the reward that he worked for you in your place. And so that's the, the big idea of this parable. Peter comes along thinking that there must be some kind of hierarchy in the kingdom of heaven where those who have sacrificed the most get the most, they, they get to the front of the line. And Jesus says, no, all people who trust in him will be blessed by God's generosity and welcome in him. Now, by virtue of the theme of the parable, there's more for us to talk about, though. And so let's talk about that because this parable reminds us that uh, these workers, they're called... And so too are all of us who are in Jesus, who are trusted in Jesus. We're also called, in a sense, to, to labor for Him. That we don't work to get into the family, but once we are, we, we want to help as much as possible. Jesus Himself said earlier in the book of Matthew that, hey, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest that He might raise up laborers and send them out into the harvest. And so Jesus has an invitation for us, has an invitation to, to get on board with him. 
And so let's talk about that invitation. Now, some of you, uh, you knew that, that it was coming, that at some point in the coming weeks, I was going to have to tell you about the, the life-changing weekend that my son had, <laughs> Axel, who's six years old. My son was one of the Oz kickers of the year uh, this year. And that meant that he was spoilt with all the footy and Auskick gear that you could ever want. And with three days of festivities all around the grand final that, that happened a couple of weeks ago. And of course, it is every dad's dream to have their kid play out on the center of the MCG on the biggest day in September. Every dad's dream to have their kid hold up the Premiership Cup, hold on to the Premiership Medal. In Axel's case, he really wanted to hold on to that and, and not let that go to be wearing the, the winning team's colours on that last day in September. And so Axel, he did all that. And so my dreams came true very early. And unfortunately, Axel's life has probably peaked already. Let's, <laughs> this is, we need to, we're going to have to care for him in the years to come, brothers and sisters. But it is a, a, a fitting image because just moments after the siren went, uh, obviously we, we know who won and uh, we know how big that victory was. It, it, it was. it was in the works for a while there. We knew where it was going. And just moments after the siren had gone, the, the, the winning team, Geelong, had, had won, out trot these, these little kids onto the MCG, wearing the same winning colours, the team's uniform, and they join in immediately into the celebrations and there's confetti there that they're playing around with and enjoying and there's, there's people on the outside who are, who are cheering them on just as much as they were cheering on the actual players who got messy, got dirty, some of them got injured, I'm sure, and won the game. They got to experience the incredible reward and the celebration to get involved in the victory lap, you know what? They did absolutely nothing <laughs> to earn it. Absolutely nothing to earn it. Even, even literally to get into the, it was literally a 30-second video kind of on a whim uh, after a week of, of Auskick that got us invited along. Everybody else did the work. Others won the game. Others kicked the goals. And here are the Auskickers reaping the rewards. Now, it's fitting because the Christian life, is a lot like that. Jesus won your salvation. Jesus did the work. Jesus put his body on the line, literally in your place. Jesus cemented your greatest hope. Jesus rose in victory. And he did all of that years in human history, years before you were born, centuries before you were born. And yet both you and I, we're invited onto the field. The siren's gone and, and, and we're there coming on. And we're there to, to enjoy it. And we're there to, to celebrate and be a part of the victory lap. and To reap the harvest, Jesus says. And that's been a big week for the connection between faith and footy. Uh, and in my very short and very amateur career myself, I know that the power of playing in a footy jumper because the teams I was a part of, there were guys that, that I didn't even know their real names. I only knew their nickname. I didn't know their back. We all came from different backgrounds. We all had different convictions. We all, we all had different ideas. We all went and did different jobs and, and, and lived different lives. But before every game, the coach would, would pull us all together in the sheds and say, hey, hey, grab a jumper. 
And you'd, you'd grab the jumper and, and you would now be connected as one. And you would be playing for the badge or playing for the colours on the jumper. And we'd go out there and we'd put our bodies on the line for each other, for these strangers united by the jumper. It's a similar thing in the kingdom. As Christians, uh, the jumper that we wear is our trust in Jesus, our, our faith in Jesus. We're very different. We're very diverse. But when we're in Jesus, we serve alongside one another. Together we, we're out there on the field. Together we share in the joy of serving Jesus, not to, to earn anything from him, but because he's already freed us to give of ourselves to one another and to the world. So in Jesus, you're good. You're free. I say it every time I get up here, it seems. The most important thing that you need to accomplish in your life has already been accomplished for you. Enjoy the freedom. There's nothing that you have to get done to make your life important. There's nothing that you have to get done to live forever in eternity with Jesus and all the saints. Jesus has already done it. You are forgiven and you are family. And so now Jesus calls us to show his life, to show his love to the world. And so that brings, up, brings us to, to what was, was always planned uh, for me to share today. Uh, and that's our, our build the city process. For the last few months, we've been working uh, on thinking about where we're going uh, as a church, because we're now five years old and we've seen a lot happen in those five years. We've seen men, women, and children baptized. We've, we've multiplied our, our services. We've survived the global pandemic. And here we are five years old. And it's time to turn our thoughts to, to where are we going as a people? Who do we want to be? By God's grace, he's brought us this far, but he's not done yet. And so we started this process where we, we prayed together, we surveyed the church, and then we planned uh, who it was that, that, that we want to become and so you would have received booklets on your way in. And that details a little bit about that. I won't go into all of it today, just a little bit. Uh, but commend that reading to you. Please take that home uh, and look at where we have landed on these things. And you'll see there are three particular priorities and then also just some of the ways that we want to reach those priorities. But to share with you, we, uh, having planned and, and plotted, we caught a vision of, of where we want to grow. And um, based on us all contributing to that. Firstly, we want to be a church that equips disciples. We want to go deep uh, with one another, uh, where we mature to be a people known for hungering after God's Word and boldly living out. A place where it is impossible to remain stagnant in your faith because we stir one another on. A place where people are welcome to come as they are, and yet because of our welcome, we encourage each other to, to grow in our trust of Jesus. And so toward that end, we want to launch an intentional growth track uh, to help us grow in Jesus. We want to be more devoted in prayer. We want to be a stronger community. Nat mentioned some good news about the camp. Exciting news. Uh, maybe don't pull out the calendars now, but in times to come, it's going to be easy to remember. Our sixth birthday, we're going to be together in Phillip Island on camp. Save the date. This weekend, next year, uh, we are going to be camping again together. Uh, if you weren't there and you're like, man, what is this Christian camp like? It's like right now. This is the vibe. It feels like this, all of us together as one. It's exciting. And so we want to do things like that to help us be equipped as disciples. Uh, second, we want to empower mission amongst each other and to the world. And so we see ourselves becoming a church that makes a disproportionate impact in our local community. 
that your gifts that God has given you might be fanned into flame and then you might be released to serve the church but also serve the local community in the east and the southeast. And so we want to be a church that, that's known. And this is what made this week so painful. We want to be a church that's known for its generosity, that's known for its love to the world through acts of mercy. A church where every Sunday is a good Sunday to invite people to church. We don't wait for Sunday because we live it out ourselves in the world. And so we want to be a light to the community and we want to set up more rooms as part of our many rooms, non-profit. Uh, 20% of people in Chadston and Ashwood live in government housing. You're probably familiar with the rise of the cost of living at this time and the pinch thing that can make with people, particularly in this part of the world where people are mortgaged to the hilt and need to keep up with the Joneses. We've got an opportunity to help people grow in their uh, financial management. And so we're going to launch a new room called The Study uh, so that we could help people be educated in how to handle their finances, help people be educated with English. We also want to launch something called The Shed so that we might serve people practically, particularly vulnerable people, by providing practical support at home. We want to partner with organizations that are already doing good work so that we don't repeat the wheel, uh, but rather we serve them as we are serving people through them. And God, over the last few years, has been very generous to us, even in the midst of the pandemic. And so uh, just about a month ago, uh, the board was able to approve an idea where we would take some of God's generosity to us and be generous to the world. And so throughout all of City on a Hill, uh, donations were made to local charities and organisations that were doing good work. For those uh, donations at, at Melbourne East, you should know we were able to give $10,000 uh, to an organisation that serves vulnerable mothers uh, called the Babes Project. Uh, and also $5,000 to an organisation called the Avalon Centre, which is just down the road in Melbourne East that supports and houses the homeless uh, in our city. Uh, we want to do more of that and see more of that happening as we become a light to the world. And finally, we want to invest in the leaders of tomorrow. Uh, the kids are going crazy downstairs, I'm sure. And the kids have their Bibles open and they are being taught and they are being built up in Jesus. And so we want to uh, think not just about ourselves now, but about our legacy into the future. And so we want uh, active and vibrant city kids and city youth ministries, uh, but not just to stop there. We want more woos. Uh, <laughs> but for it to continue beyond kids and youth, but to you. Because in this room, the, the amount of leaders that we have and you are uh, perhaps now unintentionally being sent into workplaces to be salt and light there. We want you to be intentional about that and equip you to be in those places to serve uh, as ministers to your workplaces, as missionaries here and abroad. And so there's much we want to do under these three headings uh, of equipping disciples, empowering mission and investing in leaders of tomorrow. The big idea really is we want to be a church, a community that goes down deep into God's word and into life with one another, but out wide into the community in love and mercy. That's going to take all of us, all of us being hired to be laborers in God's kingdom, putting on the jumper of Jesus, stepping out onto the field after the game's already been won to tell people about Jesus' victory. And so in that booklet, uh, there's ways that you can serve in serving, in giving, in prayer. 
For the rest of October, we're, we're going to have a campaign around how you can play a part in being, uh, building the city with us. Uh, but let me land the plane uh, and close out today. Uh, we're a church that is made up of people who have just merely received the generosity of Jesus. We haven't earned it. We haven't worked ourselves up to it. We don't look like we have our lives put together. We have Jesus. And Jesus is all we need. Jesus is all we need. Now, all we've contributed to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. But Jesus has contributed himself. Jesus has contributed his life, coming into the world, taking on human flesh, even to become a servant, that he might serve to the point of dying on the cross for us in our place. And now Jesus has invited all of us to be a part of his team, to be in his family, to love one another and to love the world together. And so we're going to build this city. There's a song about that. We should play that on our eighth birthday. This city on a hill. And as we do, we, we need to be mindful of something we, we try to remind ourselves often, lest we get ahead of ourselves, that, that actually it's God's work. It's, it's God who's going to be building us to build the city. And he says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So we don't want to waste this chance we have in our time and our place to be what we call ourselves, a city on a hill. Because Jesus is good news for the world. Jesus loves you and he loves you so much that he has called you his own in him. And we as the church love you. And we want to get around you and help you be who Jesus is calling you to be in our time and in our place. Jesus offers us life abundant and life eternal. And as our world becomes less and less acquainted with the message of the Bible, we need to become more and more acquainted with building God's house, God's way. We won't be a house or a city of grace and truth, of courage and compassion. And so we need God to be that. God has called us to a vision that we can't accomplish in ourselves. We don't have the resources for it. We aren't the people to become it. We need the Holy Spirit to move in us and change us into that kind of people, to make us that kind of people. And so see down here, we're going to push forward in exactly this, in leaning on God, in asking God to help us be this kind of place. And so let's pray together and ask for God's help. Gracious God, we praise you for the good news of your grace. We praise you that, that we're, we're coming on in in our knowledge of you and our trust of you some 2,000 years after Peter here. says, what about us? And Lord, still we are looking forward to that same reward as him. Lord, we thank you that we're a people who are so undeserving, even ill-deserving, and yet you have won us to yourself that you have stepped forward into the world in Jesus. When we weren't searching for you, you searched for us. When we didn't know what we needed to find, you found us. And so we thank you for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are always about that, always about you. 
and that you would be at the center of our church and being at the center, Lord, it would be your message of grace and hope and love and life to the world that emanates from us that emanates from us when we're gathered together like this across the east and the southeast and emanates from us when we scatter into our circles, into our workplaces, into our schools. Lord, help us be your people and let our light shine. And so as we look forward to the people we want to be, Lord, equip us, provide for us and help us walk in the knowledge that it is all by grace. Keep us from falling into thinking that we need to earn it or can work for it. Help us rest in reality of your grace for us. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.